0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training... In programming. I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy, and they scale from five kilometers All the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a strength athlete's guide to endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiovascular fitness or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program so you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance-related fitness goals. You can find all of those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter. And today I have a solo episode for you. And I am going to dive into a topic that I have been meaning to do for a while here. And the time is now because I've also been getting a lot more questions about it recently. And this topic is the long run. So I've spoken about long runs, both specific to ultra marathon and in general with endurance in the past on this podcast and a lot on other podcasts as well, but I haven't really done an episode where I really dive into it specifically. So I thought it would be a good idea to kind of jump into that and hopefully give you a little bit of direction as you start building out your training in terms of where to place and how to place that long run. So first of all, It seems somewhat intuitive at first when you hear the word long run as to what the definition to that is. But then when you start to think about it and start reading about other people talking about stuff, you find that it sort of can be a confusing term that really needs to kind of be sort of unpacked and defined, essentially. Like, what do we mean by long run? Because I think that we do have a situation here where when speaking generally to the endurance community, the long run is going to be different depending on the distance of the event or the duration it's going to take you to finish the event that you're training for. And generally speaking, the shorter the endurance event, the shorter the long run is likely going to have to be. And we'll look at some of the physiological reasons for that as we go through some of the kind of purposes and things to consider when deciding how to structure your long run. But generally speaking, a long run is going to be a a duration that is going to be the lengthiest of of your week and it's probably going to be relative to the amount of volume that you are personally doing from one week to the next versus some other person. Uh, The other thing I want to usually talk about here with this is this concept of duration versus mileage or kilometers, because I'll see this sometimes too, where people will refer to a long run in terms of X number of miles run or kilometers run or you might see long run in terms of this is the amount of duration you would you should you should complete in order to be doing a long run. So I think uh, personally, when you're talking to a group of people that's kind of population based, where you don't necessarily know the audience you're talking to outside of just the grand scope of their likely endurance runners, when you start speaking in terms of mileage, it gets a little problematic because. Mileage is going to be very different from one person to the next versus duration. And the reason for that is you could have two people training at the same intensity relative to their abilities and their current training development and have them do essentially twice as much as the other person when you go by mileage. So for example, let's say you have someone who's a low to mid two hour marathoner and they go out for say an 18 mile long run. They may complete that long run in two hours or maybe even less, depending on how fast they are. Uh, now you'll just take someone in that same that same race, but kind of closer to the back of the pack, running four plus hours for that marathon. They go out and they do an 18-mile long run. Or if they're prescribed an 18-mile long run, they may be out there for four plus hours for that long run. So even though they may be doing the same intensity relative to their abilities and training adaptations they're doing twice the volume as that that load of mid 2 hour marathon runner. So when you start prescribing by mileage, you really do have to know the individual and where they're at if you're going to use that metric. And since most coaches are oftentimes coaching many many people, it becomes difficult to do that because now you're you're just giving yourself a whole bunch of variables that you don't necessarily need to be managing when you convert over to training by duration. Because if I'm training by duration or coaching by duration, I should say, and I have that person who's further back in the pack and that person who's further to the front of the pack, I can prescribe the same workout and training load essentially by using duration a lot easier than I would be able to by trying to tease out the mileage that's going to be equivalent from one person to the next, doing it that way. So for me personally, I really like duration with this sort of a topic versus mileage. A lot of that just is also just because, generally speaking, I'm talking about these things a lot of times in public too. So I don't know who's going to hear it and who's going to catch it. I don't know if that person's a two and a half hour, two and a half hour marathoner, three hour marathon, or four hour marathon, or five hour marathon, or even a marathoner at all. So I think this duration concept is just going to be a lot cleaner and it's going to be a lot more relatable to the general audience in general when we're talking about this stuff. So. Uh, next is just like, so how do we define a long run, or what are the goals of a long run in terms of what we're trying to do with it so that we can better kind of define what that duration should be? So, here are some possible goals for the long run that I like to look at. One would be just the development of endurance, or essentially your ability to keep moving for a very specific time, or stamina is another way to look at it, which would just essentially be your ability to sustain a specific pace or a specific intensity for the duration of that. So it could be something where like, what are we measuring here? If we're measuring stamina, it's like, can you continue this intensity for X number of hours or minutes versus uh, what you were maybe able to do in the beginning of the training plan or what you were able to do in your previous training plan or what you're able to do relative to your peers or training partners and things like that. Um, and then also just what I said before with the endurance side of it, your ability to continue moving for a specific period of time. So is there like a spot where, okay, now all of a sudden I can't do this any longer because uh, I've just gone too far and overextended my ability to continue this intensity for this given duration. Uh, the next thing is just a practice your fueling and hydration. So another goal for long runs is going to be, especially if you're doing a race, like an ultra marathon or a marathon, there's a fueling and hydration component to this. And these long runs are oftentimes going to be the most specific workout that you do relative to the intensity, the environment, the terrain, and the things that you're actually going to be encountered with during your race itself. So these are like your dress rehearsals. These are your opportunities to really practice things specifically and understand how your body responds to them specifically doing the things you're going to be doing on the day when you're trying to actually go out there and perform or reflect your training progress. So these long runs are just great opportunities to practice and dial in your fueling and your hydration, figuring out both what you want to eat, how much of it you want to eat, if you need a blend of approaches, if certain products are not going to sit in your stomach well, or if there's a thing where there's a certain food or product that works well for you at the beginning, but maybe not so much at the end. So if I decide to use a sports product for say a 60 minute run and it works great, that's awesome. I may have found something that I can use for a 60 minute run and perhaps that will continue to work for me for an extended period of time. But if I take that same product out on the long run and find out by the third hour it's no longer sitting in my stomach or it's sitting in my stomach where but I just lose my appetite for it? That's a sign for me to say, okay, it's time to practice in training, adding something else that I can include to make that palatability high enough to continue the fueling process I need in order to sustain my race efforts or to determine whether I need something different from a digestive standpoint. Same with the, the the quantity too. Like the amount of food I could take in for a 60 minute run at a very slow effort may be different than what I'm able to do over the duration of say three or four hours. And then when we get into ultra marathons, we're getting much past that oftentimes into double digit hours and things like that. So we're obviously not gonna close the gap entirely there. And there's gonna be some things we need to sort of quote unquote learn on race day, but uh, or from prior races and things like that. But you can get yourself... Kind of heading in the right direction, I think, when you start recognizing how things are maintaining their tolerability throughout. Same thing with hydration just how much do you need to hydrate for a 60 minute run versus a two hour run versus a three hour run in different climates and things like that. These are all things that you can stress test most specific to your race if you're doing a longer race like a marathon or ultra marathon. By including them in the long run. Next thing is the gear testing. So on race day, it's very seldom in the ultra marathon world where you just go out there with your racing singlet shorts and shoes and let it rip for an extended period of time. You're oftentimes wearing things like belts, packs. You're trying to manage things like chafing, blistering. You want to make sure you're protecting certain areas and things like that. So testing out the gear you're going to use on race day more specifically towards what you'll be doing on race day is going to be another opportunity because kind of like my fueling example, I could wear a specific pair of shoes and socks and not get any blisters on my 60 to 90 minute runs. But then if I go out on a three or four hour long run and I start getting a little bit of a blister forming, I know that if I continued going, that blister' is probably not going to get better unless I make some sort of adaptation. So it kind of cues me into what would happen if I continued doing this for an extended period of time and allows me the opportunity to go into uh, the my resources and try to find out how can I prevent that blister or that chafing from getting worse and start practicing that in some subsequent long runs to try to find a solution or, If it's not something where I'm going to be able to practice, I can ask other people who've been in the sport for a longer period of time. Hey, what do you do if you find you have a blister appear here? And is there something I can do to kind of avoid that and sort of crowdsource more or less since we are in a sport where... The research is quite sparing compared to what we see in the more Olympic distance stuff. And oftentimes our point of reference or our starting point at population levels is going to be an extrapolation of research we know from shorter events versus things specific to something like a hundred mile race or an event that's going to take 24 hours in duration to complete. Also, uh, long runs give you this opportunity to kind of work on moving through highs and lows at the intensity that you're going to experience them on race day. So. I've talked about this in the past about kind of using your training as both a physical and mental preparatory phase. So you the physical stuff is obvious, but the mental approach of just kind of acknowledging, okay, I'm in a low point, what do I do about it? is something I think you can train in training with a lot of different things. I've talked about short intervals, even being an opportunity for this, where you get, let's say three intervals into a 10 interval session. And you think, oh man, there's no way I'm going to get to 10. You start getting that negative self-talk. And then rather than thinking about the next seven, you just say, I'm going to do one at a time. You chip away at it. Getting good and intuitive with that kind of redirecting is something that can be very valuable. But If you're using those short intervals for that, although they could be valuable, they're very unspecific to the intensity that you're going to be doing on race day. So working through some potential highs and lows doing your long run is going to give you the ability to actually process and make those decisions and recognize that moving through where you might go from a low patch to feeling really good at the intensity specific to what you're actually going to be doing on race day, which just might be a little more relatable. And I think really a good reminder, because then when you do find yourself in that point on race day, you don't go to this mindset of, oh, it's really bad now. How could I possibly keep doing this and have it get better? When in reality, anyone who's run a hundred miles successfully in the past knows sometimes you hit a point in the race where you feel worse than you had the entire experience. But regardless, you start feeling better if you just keep trudging forward and you have to get through that low a little bit before you can kind of have those uh, that momentum kind of spin back in your own direction. So knowing that can happen is a very powerful tool. So you don't find yourself in a situation where you are going to like DNF too early before or prematurely before you would actually have to, because you get yourself into a low that is like at, at such an inexperienced point that you, you don't know what to do with it. Essentially, um, finally, fine tune pacing for longer ultra marathon type events is another, valuable use of these long runs. So if you're not doing long runs, you may find yourself in a situation where you just aren't really tuned in to the right intensity that you want to start these things at. So if you go out for say a three or four hour long run and you recognize by that fourth hour, you're feeling really, really beaten down. You're really tired the rest of the day. Maybe you struggle to sleep that night. The next day you wake up and you have a hard time walking around, much less going out for an easy run, that's a pretty good sign. You probably went a little too hard on that long run, and it's likely not going to go in your interest, your best interest if you do that same thing and expect to be able to do that two, three, four, maybe more times over again in a single day. So although you're likely not going to be able to get an exact pace from your long run as to what is ideal for your race day, when you're doing really long events you can at least get a little bit closer or eliminate making some egregious mistakes that have you in a situation where you find yourself death marching or dropping out of these type of events all right so those are some of the possible goals for a long one to consider so what i would encourage people to do is think about all of those where you are at with each of them and kind of decide are there some of these that already have relative strengths with it or do i have relative weaknesses maybe these are things that you've already do quite well with so Uh, you don't have as much of a need to include as many of these long runs in your training because you've already sort of fine-tuned this. Or maybe you're on the opposite end and you have like, you say, I am a weak at all of those. Maybe this is something I really need to focus some attention to and, and maybe spend a little more time solving some of these type of questions so that when you're out there on race day, you don't make those mistakes and have to problem solve things that are preventable. Let's look though at the physiological side of this thing too. So we actually get into what your body is going to do in terms of doing this. Because this is definitely a variable you want to consider. Because it's one thing to say, hey, I really need to test this gear out. I really need to test this pace out. I really need to test out feeling and hydration. It's a whole nother thing to think, what am I actually doing for my body that's either pro productive or uh, not productive by extending the duration of these long runs. So physiological benefits of running reduce as you continue. So the way to think about this is the first hour that you're out there, you're going to have a pretty steep, basically linear benefit in terms of what you're doing physiologically for yourself by continuing for that hour. This starts to drop off a little bit and kind of start to curve as you move into that second hour. And then the third hour, it kind of continues even more to curve. And these benefits you're curing by continuing Begin to level off by the point where, once you get to about three hours, you have very incremental benefits continuing that into fourth and fifth hours and so on. And once you get past three hours, essentially what you're looking at is the risks start to pile up and the benefits get quite, quite small. So you have this question that you should be asking yourself Are these risks? far exceeding any rewards I'm going to get by continuing versus stopping here, recovering, and doing this again potentially sooner and getting more volume accured over time versus one big, what I've called in the past, hero sessions by pushing through to five hours when you're getting very little physiological benefits and increasing your risks. So some of those risks that you should be considering once you start pushing back three hours are things like increased risk of injury, increased risk of additional fatigue that's going to take future training sessions off the table. Uh, Just increased risk of like fatigue that you're going to have to deal with throughout the rest of the day as you try to like catch back up on things like hydration and fueling and things like that, which can lead into some of those other things like recovery and your mood and motivation and things like that. So uh, does this mean that you should never run past three hours? No, because what I talked about before, there are some meaningful mental wins that can be garnered from going beyond this point and also present the opportunity to learn some of those things that I mentioned above. And also we're talking about running here. So when we look at the world of ultra marathon running, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make, especially when you get into these longer duration events, like hundred miles is too much running, especially too soon in the race. To the point where you see the, the splits of their race to the point where the amount of time it takes them to complete the first, say, third or half the race is drastically faster than the time it takes them to complete the last half or two thirds of that race. And to me, that means too much running early on versus a combination of early running, walking or running hiking breaks that are gonna allow them to continue a more steady pace throughout the course of that race and ultimately get to the finish line, not only feeling better about themselves, but also getting there sooner. So when we're looking at a long run for an ultra marathon race, it really probably shouldn't even be called long run. It should probably just be called long day because you should be practicing the intensity that you intend to hit during the the event that you're preparing for. So if you have an event where your average pace puts you in a position where from a pacing standpoint, it would benefit you to do half of it running and half of it walking or hiking, that's a great way to prepare for it with your long runs, which means you could stretch out your long run to say five hours or even maybe six hours with only doing three hours of actual running, but getting that five to six hours time on feet Allowing you to practice the exact movements that you're doing, the exact pacing that you're going to be doing, even the ratios of running to walking that you plan on on race day and the fueling and hydration that's going to come with it and not enter that risk territory to the degree that you would if you decided to try to hit three hours running and then push into four and push into five with a running behavior versus a walking and hiking embedded into it. So when we get into the world of ultra ultra marathon running, you can kind of see how these definitions begin to change a lot based on the pace average that your goal is going to be by extending the duration of the activity that you're doing versus what you would be doing for something like a marathon or something even shorter than that, like your Olympic distance track events and things like that. Things that can happen if you don't do a long run, just a little bit of a add-on and kind of review of what I talked about before, masking your fueling mistakes. You may never be meaningfully depleting glycogen, acquiring palate fatigue, finding out what you actually crave as the hours pile up over the course of the day you could be masking hydration mistakes, never actually dipping into your hydration far enough to experience what it's like to get to that point where performance begins to dip. Research would suggest that about 2 to 3% body weight loss is where you're going to start to recognize performance dips. So if you're out there not doing any long runs and hydrating a specific way, you might not know that you are not actually taking in enough fluid and electrolytes to get yourself in the best position to avoid dipping too far down towards that, that loss. Also, like I said before, gear, some pieces of gear feel great for a few hours, but will this continue? You can get a little better look at that. If you're out there moving specifically to the intensity that you're doing on race day, uh, with some of those longer sessions, things like, yeah, like the chafing, the sore spots, vulnerable blister spots, things that I mentioned before, also, you may not truly experience what it's like to move from a low back to a normal state and result in a DNF when in reality, had you known more, you could have gotten through that low and gotten to the finish line versus taking that DNF. Again, masking aggressive pace on race day and fail to provide adequate data as to what a good target pace should actually be on race day because you never got anywhere near practicing that in your training. Now, how does all this above affect... Like when things like weather changes over the period of time too. the other part of this too, is if you're running over the course of a full day, you're not running in a constant weather or temperature state throughout the course of the day. Likely things are going to change, especially as like you have things from like sunrise to sunset, heat of the day versus the coolest points of the day and things like that. So practicing some of these longer sessions can give you an opportunity to know, like when, when I hit these changing points of the day. I should expect to need to do these procedures more heavily and that could be fueling hydration that could be uh things like uh, topical cooling and just what gear is going to be more appropriate what during the heat of the day versus the cool of the night and things like that also one final thing to consider for the ultra marathon runners out there is event frequency so sometimes we look at long runs and things like that purely through the lens of our training weeks and things like that versus what we can gain from the frequency in which we do events. And everyone's going to be different with this. I know I coach people who they really just want to focus on maybe a couple events per year, get into training, and then show up to that race and test themselves versus somebody who just really likes the atmosphere and the event side of things and finds themselves at events quite frequently. So if you're in that latter position, you're actually accumulating some likely quite long, long runs through the act of actually doing these races themselves. Usually in this situation, I'm, uh, I like to look at it as like, be honest with yourself in terms of the number of events you can likely maximize in a year. Personally, I think two to three is probably a reasonable target for most people. And then beyond that, make sure you're not, say, leaving your A race out on B races, but Once you identify those B races, look at them as high quality long run opportunities where all these things that I've mentioned give you even closer to race specific type opportunities to practice them. And then things like aid station navigation, even, which is going to be a little more difficult to replicate out in training versus out on a course when you actually have those exact things built into the schedule. So does this mean that you should be out there, like I said, in the beginning piling up long run after long run and back-to-back long run after back-to-back long run? I don't think so. I think these are things that are good to practice, but I think there's a time and a place for them. So what I mean by that is I think you're best served practicing these things that are most specific to your race when you get closer to it. So you could spend, say, four months developing your fitness without doing an extensive long run or even getting into like a real long run in general for a good chunk of your training plan. And then spend that last six to eight weeks starting to build out your long run and take some opportunities to practice these things when you've gotten through a phase of training where things like short intervals and long intervals are likely not quite as important because they're just intensities you're likely not going to use in a very long duration event, like a hundred mile race or a 24 hour event. So you have this situation where, You sort of free up some training load and some potential recovery time because you're reducing some of the training load by not having to do as many like say short intervals long intervals moderate to high intensity type activities that are going to be more taxing in a shorter period of time on your training load than say long, slow miles can be. So some of it's just like, what is your opportunity cost? In the first two thirds of your training plan, building out a really long long run or heading out and doing back-to-back long runs and things like that probably come at too big of an opportunity cost. They probably will sacrifice your ability to do the short intervals, the long intervals, the modern high intensity stuff that's going to be important, but maybe better placed earlier in your training plan. And that training opportunity cost isn't going to necessarily benefit you on race day versus getting closer to the race when you have less of a need because you've developed those systems. And now it's time to really practice what you're actually going to be doing in a heavier way. That's the sweet spot in my opinion. So when I say ultra runners likely do too many long runs, usually what I mean by that is they start their long run very early in their plan and they're doing it week after week, month after month throughout that plan, all the way up to the race. Sometimes even to the point where they're on the starting line and they're sort of fatigued from doing the activity that they're actually trying to perfect. And that's what I think you kind of want to avoid. And that's what the balance is. So when you see things about to do a long run, not to do a long run, I think that gets a little bit too absolute in the sense that it makes it black or white. It makes it something where it's either good or bad inherently, when in reality, it's about the balance of putting it in your plan, in the right spot, at the right frequent, at the right dosage, recognizing what you're sacrificing to do it and where the best place to put it so that those sacrifices aren't necessarily going to be a net loss, but will actually be a net gain in getting you from the start to the finish as quickly as possible on race day. One final thing to just talk about in general with this would just be uh, the idea of like bone health along with some of these things. So you are taking on a bit of a risk factor going out there for extended periods of time. Uh, The impacts of running do illustrate you're gonna improve bone health and ligaments and connective tissue stuff as well. But you're going to have to make sure you recover from that. And you're also going to have to make sure your nutrition and things like that are on point, or those benefits will essentially reverse and turn into risk factors. So assuming nutrition, recovery, things like sleep, proper diet, and things like that are all dialed in. Then, you know, running is actually going to help improve bone, tendon, ligament health. But we do know, and I believe Camille Heron has talked about this quite a bit in terms of what's the best way to do that with like slower sessions. And that's going to be by doing more frequent sessions, less single long duration sessions, and having a four to eight hour window in between those is when you kind of like have this situation where you get past that first stimulus. And now the door reopens to kind of redo that process again in a productive way. Now, one thing to consider with this is when we're looking at things like bone health, tendon, ligament health, and things like that, there's a lot of ways to do that. So just breaking up your runs into multiple sessions is not the only way to improve that. So there's other things too, like strength work, speed work, Um, even just like your low aerobic work, like I just said before, these are all things that are going to be productive to that if done in the right balance with the right stress stimulus recovery stimulus and the right nutrition to think about it just entirely through the lens of should I cut my long run in half or not do a long run at all? Or should I only do two a days or only do singles and things like that? Those are things to consider and things to probably embed into your training plan strategically, but also thinking about what are the other ways that you can positively impact those things outside of just looking at it through that one variable or that one lens. All right. That's my take on the long run. If you're interested, I just recently did an episode also on singles and doubles, which sort of kind of bleeds into this topic a little bit because a long run is essentially a long single session versus if you cut that in half into two sessions. But the general uh topic for that podcast was more along the lines of like, should you do a two-a-day training session outside of your long run during your training week? So say like 60 minutes in the morning. 45 minutes in the evening versus trying to do 105 minutes all at once, either in the morning or in the afternoon. So if you're interested on my take and some of the stuff I dove into with that topic, check out that episode on two days versus one a day training sessions. Also, finally, if you enjoy these topic-based episodes and you have a topic or a question that you'd like me to touch on in a future episode, feel free to reach out to me. You can do so on... Email through podcast at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media platforms at ZachBitter on Instagram, at ZBitter on Twitter. Send those my way if interested. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. If you want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to ZachBitter.com forward slash HPO. From there, you'll be able to access the full catalog of episodes, With all the links and details that go with them, as well as join the show Patreon page. If you want ad free early release episodes, you can do that by joining the show Patreon page and support. If you want to support the show, but not through Patreon, there are some links for that on that website as well. And if you want to help out non monetarily, liking, sharing, and subscribing is a great way, letting your friends, family members, and social media followers know which episodes you enjoyed really goes a long way helping me grow the show. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter.